Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, I've shared this story before, but for those of you that haven't heard it, I was flying from Minneapolis to uh, at a, on a red eye back to Detroit. I had just got done preaching at North Central Bible College and was trying to get home for Sunday morning services. So, I mean, no, when you're younger, you can pack days in like that, right? And, and so I was trying to get home, and so we're up in the air, we're flying, we're on the way to Detroit, and as the stewardesses were out, and they, were, they had the carts out, they were serving the drinks and and, and the refreshments and all of that. And all of a sudden, bam, everything in the airplane went pitch black and the airplane jolted. It felt like it dropped 10,000 feet. I have no idea. And, and of course, how, how many know that can make you worried? How many know, right? I mean, no, that'll get your attention, right, everyone? And so that happened, and that, as we were all trying to kind of figure out what had just happened, this guy from about six, seven rows in back of me come running up to the stewardess and said, the engine's on fire. Now, first of all, here's my first reaction, okay? I'm still in a process, everybody, all right? My first reaction was to knock the guy out. Because I didn't want him to concern the rest of us as if we weren't already concerned. And then sitting across the aisle from me, I was probably just as scared as him. But come on, where's the men at? How many know sometimes you can be afraid, but you just can't show it? Come on, can I get a grunt from the men, right? I mean, I feel like yelling and screaming sometimes too. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't say anything. And I noticed right across the aisle from me was a little girl and her mom. And I don't know who else it was. But she kept looking at me. And so I felt in my mind, I got to pretend everything's all right. I can't look worried. I just have to act like everything's going to be all right. Don't worry. You know, I just had to, because I, I, I could tell she was looking for somebody to get reassurance from. Now, I was doing pretty good till the pilot came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, we've just lost our engine on starboard side, not to worry none. And this is exactly what he said. We have practiced this in the simulator, and we have had a great deal of success. <laughs> That's where it went. Now I wanted to stand up and start crying. Because I was perfect with, we practice this in the simulator, but the words great deal really bothered me. Would it have bothered you too? Like great deal, like what is a great deal? Is it like two out of three? Is it like, is it 50% of the time? I want to know these things. And, and so now I'm really nervous and we start making an emergency landing uh, somewhere in Wisconsin. And, uh, and as we're getting close to the runway, man, the, the runway is lined with fire trucks and sirens. And I'm like, what is going on here? Now, I told that story once here three or four years ago. And, um, and, and I left the story right there. And somebody came up in the foyer, uh, forgive me if you're here, and asked me, hey, you didn't finish the story. How did the story end? <laughs> I'm here. Like, what in the world does that even mean, right? So anyway, yeah, we survived, everybody, all right? Woo! All right. So anyway, um, I don't know what it is. How many of you love to fly? Can I just see you love it? Wow. All right. 
How many of you do not like to fly? All right. How many of you have never flown? Let me see your hands. Okay, one or two. Yeah, just a couple here and there. Uh, that's a little more unusual in our world. It, I don't know what it is, but the older I've gotten, the less I like flying. And I used to blame it on the crowds and the security lines and all of the stuff, but I genuinely feel myself getting more nervous. Now, we've had a couple family trips. We flew to Phoenix uh, a year or so ago, all of us. Little Kenny, first time on the airplane, and, and, uh, and then we all went to Michigan uh, about this time or early this spring. And so little Kenny, our little granddaughter, she was uh, two at the time, two and a half. And uh, so we're on the airplane, and I'm, I'm just having, it's not like I'm going to scream like the guy did, but I'm, you know, just a little nervous, a little anxious, and, and usually it's during the takeoff. Once we get up to cruising altitude, I'm cool, all right? And, and, and so, and we're wondering, how is little Kenny going to do? And she's sitting over there on the next aisle between her mom and dad, and she's got her little earphones on, she's watching some kind of program on the airplane, and and as we start taking off, I'm looking to see how in the world is she going to deal with this because I'm gripping the armrest pretty good myself, you know, until we get up there and cruise. And as we start taking off and the plane is just starting to lift, she starts, the plane is totally quiet and she starts screaming out, Wahoo! <laughs> just like her mother, I'm telling you. And then it was a tough landing. There was a lot of turbulence. I mean, we were just, in fact, the last little part of the plane ride, it was just rocking us. And every time we hit turbulence, she would say, Wahoo! This is fun! And pretty soon she had her own little fan club all around her. And when we finally landed, it was like she was signing autographs or something, you know? And, and I got to thinking, man, she wasn't worried one single bit because she was sitting between her mom, her dad. She was around the people that she loved. And as long as we were there, every little thing was going to be all right. And I got to thinking, oh, God, if I could just go back to the innocence and the faith of a child, right? If I could just stop worrying about every time life has turbulence. Mm -hmm. And so for those of you that never worry, pardon me for just a minute because this message probably isn't for you. But in our final installment of Issues of the Heart, I want to briefly talk about this whole idea of a worried heart. Now, I'm not going to dive that deep into it. Uh, Jake did an incredible message earlier this year on weakness is my strength, where he dives into the subject of anxiety. So I, he, he's done a thorough job on that. I just want to take some kind of some leftover thoughts on it as we talk about the worried heart today. Our theme verse is Proverbs chapter number four, uh, verse number 23. And here's what it says. It says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows out of that. Uh, I don't know if you deal with worry or anxiety or if there's any reoccurring thing in your life that you worry about, but how many of you remember the things that we worried about when we were kids? Did you worry about anything as kids? I mean, like, like we would worry about really important things. Like, I remember worrying about if you cross your eyes for too long, they'll stay like that. Did anybody else have this concern? 
um, um, or, or here's one genuinely. I'm, I'm just, this is kind of a survey. I'm kind of curious about this. Uh, I, I was worried that quicksand was everywhere. Was anybody else worried about quicksand? Thank you very much. I, I didn't realize as I grew up, well, quicksand is really nowhere. I was always worried I was going to fall into quicksand or that stepping on a crack would literally break my mother's back. You know, all those really important things that we worried about. And isn't it great now that once we're grown up and we're mature that we can stop worrying about things? Well, according to the World Health Organization, Americans have a problem with a worried heart more than any other people on the globe. Americans do. Isn't that kind of interesting? Imagine the most influential society in the world has the most anxiety and worry than anyone in the world. Now, many today, either watching online or sitting right here, you're battling with this whole thing of worry, and it's killing your joy. It's killing your peace. Matter of fact, maybe even more this time of the year. It's, it's the holidays, and it's, uh-oh, i got to get together with family members that maybe we're estranged with, and, and this time of the year. According to research, 60% of American adults struggle with worry and stress on a daily basis. Now, to be quite honest with you, I'm kind of surprised that that number isn't higher. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure that's accurate. I think that's those that were willing to admit the fact. Um, in fact, I have a feeling that there are some here that are going to have a hard time processing this message because you're worried about something. And, um, and so I got to thinking, why is it that we still worry? I, I mean, the longer I've been serving God, the more I know He's brought me through everything. He's answered prayer. He's rescued me. He's healed me. He's been with me. Anybody else? And yet when a new storm comes, every once, not everyone, but every once in a while, we tend to fall right back into that worry. And I think it's because at the core of us, in our sin nature, we have a tendency to gravitate towards fear rather than gravitate towards faith. Let me give you an example. If you're awake at 2 in the morning, how many of you have ever been awake at 2 in the morning worrying about something? Come on, just, it might not have been last morning, but somewhere in your life, right? And, and and here's what I know. If you're awake at 2 a.m. and you're, uh, here's what I know. You are not thinking about good things usually. You're not thinking about how to manage all this peace you have. You're not thinking about how to manage all this joy and happiness you have, right? You're worried about things. You're spinning in your mind about things. You're, you're worried about kids. You're worried about careers. You're, you're, you're worried about money. You're worried about relationship. Come on, you're worried about deadlines. Maybe you're worried about the price of gas. Can I get an amen on that one, right? Maybe in our younger generation is more concerned and worried about terrorism than any other previous generation. And often worry and anxiety, uh, oftentimes we use those words kind of like the same word, but they're actually different. They're related, they're cousins, but they're not the same. Let me give you a little working definition. We, we tend to experience worry in our minds. Can I have that definition? Do we have that, Jake? Yeah. We, we tend to experience worry in our minds, right? Have you ever had where you can't get your mind to shut off? Uh, and, and you're just repeating the, it, it, it's just repeating the same thing over and over. Worry is more in the mind. 
Anxiety, however, we tend to experience anxiety in our bodies. Can anybody understand what I'm saying? Maybe it's not you, but you know somebody like that. It, it comes out in our bodies in, in, in this kind of, of a way where, man, my heart palpitation, I got adrenaline, those kind of things are going on. And, and worry can be very specific. Uh, anxiety is, is random and it comes out in the body. Well, Jesus is the one that said to us that we don't need to worry about anything. We don't have to worry about anything, right? In Matthew chapter number 6, Jesus covers five things. And I want to hit those five things with you really quick. Is everybody with me today? All right. Can I help my friend right here? You need a spot. Just want to make sure you got a seat, okay? All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter number 6, verse number 24. Let's look at it. It says, no one, this is Jesus talking here, all right? It says, no one can serve two masters either. Now, by the way, before I read this, I want you to look with me because he covers all the things that we have a tendency to worry about. Jesus, now I'm going to paraphrase them just a little bit. He deals with the subject of finances. How many have ever worried about finances? Let me, let me see your hands. Come on. He, wor- he, he lets us know about he, he talks about the worry of food. Mm, how many have ever worried about food? Where is my next meal? Where's that chocolate cake? Okay, anyway, we've worried about... F- now, I'm paraphrasing the words. They have some more severity behind them. Uh, he talks about fitness, or a better word is our health. Have you ever worried about your health? I don't know what it is. Maybe have a few more birthdays and you recognize, uh-oh, yeah, that doesn't work the way that it used to work, you know? So he deals with finances, he deals with food, he deals with fitness, and, and this is a little cheesy, but I wanted the F's to all work. He deals with fashion. How many of you ever worried about fashion? Let me see your hands. Yeah, that's why you look so nice. See, nobody else raised their hands. That says a lot. Anyway, no, I'm just having fun. But he, worry, he says, don't worry about fashion. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And then lastly, he says, don't worry about the future. See if you can't pick them all up here in Matthew chapter number six. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, here it comes, both God and money. So he's setting a precedent, and I'm not going to do a deep dive on teaching this today, but he's setting a precedent, and what he's right out of the gate, he's letting us know that most of the things we worry about is because we have our priorities wrong. He's saying, you can't serve me. You, you, you can't put your energy toward me and toward money. You can't love them both. You can't serve them both. So one of the keys to not worrying is making sure that our priorities get in the right place. It goes on to say this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And then he begins to give us a prescription. He says, here's how you fix that. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Wow. He says, look at the birds. Birds don't worry, and God takes care of them. Now, to be clear, if, if you kind of dive into it, the reason he used birds is because if birds are hungry, they do something about it. Mm-hmm. 
they, they do something about it. And this illustrates the difference between concern and worry. Let me give you that. A concern, do I have that for the screen today? A concern focuses on challenges and moves you to a strategy and an action. I've been so bothered about this children's playground. We had it sold. We don't have it sold. We have it sold. We don't have it sold. And I could worry about it. It could keep me up at night. Or I can recognize it as a legitimate problem. And we can develop a, we can develop a strategy and do something about it. Now, that's a concern. We all have concerns. But what happens when a concern turns into a worry? Let me give you that definition. A worry focuses on what's beyond our control and paralyzes us, resulting in inaction. Mm -hmm. I, I remember when I was a kid, my preacher, my pastor rather, he told this story about these two little girls that were on their way, they were walking to school, and they got to messing around and exploring and go looking at plants and flowers and rocks and just playing around, and all of a sudden they realized, uh-oh, we're going to be late for school. And the one little girl said, we ought to kneel down right here and pray that God will help us be on time. The other little girl said, no, I got a better idea. Let's start running, and while we're running, let's pray that we'll be on time. I mean, no, that's what God wants us to do, right? You see, let me give you a working an everyday definition for worry. Worry is stewing without doing. You like that? Thank you very much, Susan. All right, go to the head of the class. Oh, you already are. All right. It's stupid. Have you ever, it's just, I'm worrying, I'm worrying, I'm worrying, I'm worrying, but you're not doing anything about it. And sometimes we pray and, and we're really worrying, but we call it prayer because are you willing to be a part of the answer to every prayer that you pray? God, I'm praying that you would bless those people. Are you willing to be a part of the answer to every prayer? Come on, that you pray, right? And so Jesus asked this important question in verse number 27. He says, does, does worry, does it add a single hour to your life? Isn't Jesus brilliant? Does it add a single hour? Matter of fact, statistics tell us that not only does it not add an hour, it might be taking some hours away, right? Now, here's what I know. What you worry about the most might reveal the thing that you trust God in the least. What you worry about, I'm preaching to me right now, all right? What you worry about the most might reveal, I, I didn't say it did, I just want you to consider. Does it reveal the thing that you trust God in the least? So what do you worry about the most? Is it money? Is it health? And Jesus tells us how to overcome the worry. Let me show you this and then we'll move on. Matthew chapter number 6, he goes on in verse number 31 and 34. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. The pagans, the, the, those, the, the word pagan, it just means those that aren't following me. They're worried about all these things also. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows you need a job. God knows you need a house. God knows you need to be able to pay your bills and you need groceries to eat. God knows that. Interesting, we had a, a particular individual here uh, last week that lost their place to live. They have a job, uh, a single individual, just could not find a place to live. And 
didn't have family around, didn't know what to do. And, and, and I just said, man, I don't have any answers for you. We'll pray about it. We'll, we'll, our prayer team will pray. And sometimes when a pastor says we'll pray about it, it feels like such a shallow answer. It just feels like, oh, yeah, that's like the get out of jail free card. But I really didn't have any answers. Uh, and, and other than I'll go to my heavenly father, we'll pray. And we prayed. And randomly, three days later, we got a random phone call from another individual in the church and said, you know, God put this person on my heart. I've never met them. I, I, all I know is they sat in front of me, and I feel like God's telling me that we need to do something for her on the holidays. Isn't that amazing? See, while we don't have the answers, God already has the answer ready to go. Can I get an amen on that, everyone, right? And it says, the Heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. Keep on going for me. It says, watch this. Now, here's the solution. Here's the formula right here to the subject of worry. But seek first the kingdom of God. See, that's why he opened up with saying, you can't be chasing money and all these things and chasing God. So he reverses the whole order. He says, but if you'll seek me first and his kingdom and his righteousness... And all these things, all the things we just read about, the food, the fashion, the, all those, he says, all these things will be given to you as well. You see what Jesus said? Jesus says, if you'll just make me priority, I have the ability, if you won't use your energy chasing those things, but you'll use your energy chasing me, come on everybody, then I'll make sure all these other things that you look like you've set on the shelf, I'll make sure to take care of all those things. Come on, is there any living testimony in this room say, I can bear witness to that? Yeah? Therefore, do not, there he goes back, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about, isn't it true? Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is, and, and here's the place where we ought to ask this question. If we're consumed with worry, we have to at least come to the question, is God really first in my life? Because order determines outcome. Seek first. It's the law of first. See, God doesn't want to be in second place in our life. God wants to be in first place in our life. And it takes trust to put him first. Is God, let me just ask you some questions or at least some things that you can ponder. Is God really first in your life? Mm -hmm. Is he first in your money? Don't answer out loud. Is he first in your time? Is he first in your priorities? Um, and this is a great opportunity to put your trust in God. When you recognize worry is consuming you, this is a great opportunity to reverse those priorities in your life. Um, so here's what I want to do as we wrap this up. I got to thinking about this because I've, as a pastor, I've dealt for years with people that come with major concerns and worry and all kind of things. And, and when I was young in ministry, I used to say, oh, don't worry about it. It's not going to come to pass. And then after I'd say that, it would come to pass. And I realized, man, that wasn't good counsel of me. Because I just believe God would deliver them from the thing. But how many know, sometimes God isn't interested in delivering us from the thing. He's interested in who we become while we're in the thing. Come on, are you guys with me today? 
And so I stopped giving that counsel, and, and I started giving this kind of counsel, and so let me share it with everybody here. There's three possibilities, so here's what I want you to do. Let's consider three things that could happen on the issue that you're worried about. Okay, so I'm going to do something right now that I never want you to do in church, but I'm going to give you permission for like 15 seconds. I want you to get that thing that you're the most worried about. I want you to put it on the front of your mind, all right? And I want you to think about that thing, and I want you to think about these three possibilities. Because if I was sitting at coffee with you, and you were telling me, man, I'm worried that, and fill in the blank, and I said, well, don't worry about that, you would say, yeah, but what if? And so I'm going to cover all those right now. Are you guys ready? All right, here's the thing you're worried about. Let's consider these three things. Number one, it may never happen. Now, I used to say, oh, that's not going to happen. God will deliver you. But that's when I was immature and lived through some storms and realized not every storm does he deliver us from. Am I right about this, everybody? And, and so it, 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 it may, it may, it might, but it may never happen. Um, researchers at Penn State did this, uh, this survey. I don't know how you go about this, but here's what they discovered, that less than 10% of what we're worried about will ever come to pass. Less than 10%. That's what Penn State discovered. Now let me add my little two cents on that statistic. Less than 10% of what you worry about will ever happen, but worry will rob you of your peace and joy 100% of the time. It will. It will. Number two, here's the second thing that could happen over the thing you're worried about. It might happen, and, and, and it won't be as bad as you imagined. It, it could go ahead and happen, but it wasn't quite as devastating. You came out a lot better than you thought. How many of you have ever raised kids? You're done. You've already raised them. You've raised kids. Now, oh, wow. Best amen I've gotten all year. All right. So, so that you will understand this illustration then, so don't leave me now, ma'am, all right, is, is that if you've raised kids, you understand this. Because the thing that you're worried about, you're on the other side of now and realize it didn't really kill them. They're not really cross-eyed. It didn't really break my back. Come on, everybody, right? Come on, where's the parents that, uh-oh, their curfew was 10 o'clock and it's 5 till. Do I have any parents like this? And all of a sudden, your imagination goes crazy. When my kids were teenagers, there was this popular TV show on. I can't remember the name, but it was something like Emergency 911. And, and it would always start like, it was a quiet evening. Ken and Patty were watching Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> Ken was quietly reading the paper while sipping on his evening tea. And he noticed that the kids had not come in from their curfew. And all of a sudden, and the music and the lights change, bum, bum, and it shows them being sold in slavery in Africa somewhere. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Every parent in this place, your mind has operated like that. How many of you know this? It doesn't have to be possible. It only has to be imaginable. And isn't it interesting that our minds can get so imaginary when it comes to the possibilities of what problems are out there, right, everyone? In 2019, uh, I had got my annual physical, and the doctor called me and said, hey, we see a, a problem with your blood work, and uh, we're concerned about your thyroid. And um, to be quite honest with you, Mr. Hubbard, we, we feel like it's possible that you have 
cancer in your thyroid, and we might need to remove that. And, of course, that isn't the news that you want to hear, so we're going to send you to a specialist to check that out. I gathered a, a, I just shared that with a couple of close friends, and, and then somebody had the audacity to say to me, oh, yeah, my brother's second uncle had thyroid cancer, and it spread to his brain within six weeks, and he died. I've never talked to that guy again. I just want you to know that. Sometimes people that kill your faith, you just got to get them off your boat. How many know what I'm saying, right? And so she sent me, or the doctor sent me to a specialist and said, you're going to have to go to a specialist. And uh, I said, okay. So they referred me. And the specialist was two months out. And so you tell me that I could have cancer and I got to wait two months to find out what I need to do. According to the guy that just helped me pray, I could be dead by then. Well, I finally got in to see the specialist. It wasn't cancer. I did have some issues. They've been able to correct that. Here's all I'm saying is, is that it did happen, and here I am years later on the other side of the thing that kept me up one or two nights. Come on, somebody. Let me just take a survey. How many of you are on the other side of something that you worried about and everything's going to be all right? Right? Come on. There probably ought to have been at least 99% of the hands go up in this room. Let me do number three, the thing you're worried about. This is just super practical today. Number three is it will happen. Uh-oh, sorry. It will happen. And God will prove to be faithful. That's all I got. At the end of the day, your pastor's not in charge. I'm not even in charge of my own life. God has orchestrated. God has ordained. God has written in His book the days of my life. He knows the beginning and the end. He has breathed His life into me. He's in charge. He's large and in charge. And at the end of the day, all my worrying and all my fret doesn't make one bit of difference. Yes, I might go through that storm. I could have had cancer. I could have ended here. But God knows... God's not in heaven. I'm not going to show up to heaven one day and God's going to go, oh, you're early. What's up? I wasn't quite ready for you. So I had a person I was dealing with when I was doing a little coaching. And, and this person had some severe problems with worry. And every time I would give them something to hold on to, they'd say, yeah, but. And so instead of with this individual... I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit that gave me wisdom, but instead of saying, you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. Where you're at is not where you have to stay. And I did all my motivation, all my best Bible verses, and they were still trapped in worry. And all of a sudden, I just reversed it all. I said, okay, let's say that does happen. And then what? Well, then, and they would paint another bad picture. And I'd say, okay, and if that happens, then then what? And then they had paint another bad picture. And I said, okay, great. And if that happens, and then what? And finally they got all the way to, well, then I'm just going to die. And you love Jesus, and Jesus loves you. And Paul says, for me to die is gain. Because I'll never have to deal with these things again. We have a blessed hope, everybody. What is there to worry about? Amen? 
Now, I know that sounds a little morbid, but play it out. And then what? God's still on the throne. And then what? God still loves me. And then what? I'm still a conqueror. And then what? Well, if I have to wait till I get to heaven to be healed, I'm healed. Right, everyone? Let me leave you with a couple of, I don't know, maybe inspirational, maybe instructional. I don't know. Let me leave you with a couple of thoughts here today. I've tried to be very practical in this closing series. Anyone can run away. It's super easy. Facing problems and working through them, that's what makes you strong. So many people constantly are praying that God would deliver them out from when maybe God is trying to work on your character and strengthen you in the middle of it. Hey, maybe He's preparing you for what He has prepared for you. Let me give you another one. This one's a little more spiritual here. Face your problems. Don't Facebook your problems. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You knew I'd get something about social media in there. Let me leave you one more. It's profound. It's very deep and spiritual. And it says, face your problems unless your problem is your face. That's all I got for you today. I'll be back same time, same place next Sunday, everybody. In all seriousness, though, at the end of this series, as we've dealt with issues of the heart, people have said, man, it seems like my issues overlap. Yeah, they do. They team up on you. Very seldom do you only have a broken heart. You have a broken heart that brought his cousin bleeding heart in. And you got a restless heart that brought his sister foolish heart in. Sorry, brother foolish heart. Could get in trouble for that, all right? And, and, and they seem to overlap. And how I many know this is just a small sample? There's hardened hearts. There's bitter hearts. And I, I can't exhaust this series, but here's what I know. At the end of the series, at the end of the day, maybe one of the greatest ways to protect your heart Maybe one of the greatest ways to fulfill Proverbs chapter number four that we've studied for the last five weeks, one of the greatest ways is to take yourself off the throne room of your heart and put Jesus on the throne of your heart, to take your heart and give it to Jesus. Now, over this last year and over the last few months, we kind of close every service kind of like this. We say something like, with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, today could be your day. And to be honest with you, I can't, I think we might have had one Sunday this entire year where at least one person didn't say, today's my day. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I always say it's nobody's business. It's just between you and God. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. And so many people have come to know Jesus in this room with the lights dimmed and eyes closed and heads bowed. But there comes a time where what we do in secret, we need to make a public stand. Come on, everybody. And today is that day. Today is the day to acknowledge Jesus Christ publicly and proclaim to the world, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad he wasn't ashamed of us? He hung naked and, and uh, he hung naked and unashamed on a cross for you and I. And if we can't live for Jesus in a room that is going to cheer and party for you, we're going to have a hard time living for a Jesus out there when they're not partying for us. Amen, everybody?
And, and, and so today, I want you to consider that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to become a follower of Christ today, and I'm going to give everyone in the room the opportunity to take one step closer and follow Him in the waters of baptism. <clears throat> what a way to end the year. What a way to end the year and start a new year. You know, New Year's resolutions, forget all those. New Year's resolutions start right here as we die to the old self and are resurrected in the new self. Right, everybody? It's a, it, what this is, it's a picture. We don't preach this message enough anymore. We don't preach the part of the gospel where Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, die to yourself, and come follow me. If you listen to a lot of Christian preaching today, it's all about the benefits we get. And the benefits are plenteous. But there are greater benefits the more, the less I become less of me and more of Him. This waters of baptism illustrates death, burial, and resurrection. It's what Jesus did. And Jesus gave us the model. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He also was water baptized. Um, it's a picture of dying to self. Now let me tell you a couple things that we've witnessed happen here. And I say this every time. I don't know if it happens every time. I don't always hear all the stories. But we've had people that have come to the waters of baptism because this is a sacred and it's a supernatural moment. Now I don't want to use a weird word on you. Supernatural just means superior to anything that man can do. And we've watched people that have loved Jesus but have struggled with addictions struggled with habits and hang-ups and we have watched literally them try everything but the moment they make a public stand to be dead to self and resurrected new in Christ we have literally watched people delivered instantaneously of things they've been struggling with in the waters of baptism you see there's miracles when we obey God come on are you guys with me today is that a little too over the top for you today See, it's dying to the old self and being resurrected in Christ. Now, I say this all the time, but it needs to be repeated. Um, we don't sprinkle, we don't baptize babies, we dedicate babies, we wait till they're at the age of accountability to let them be baptized when they can explain it. And we don't submerge people. Submerge means you put them down and don't bring them up. We are going to bring them up. We immerse people, which means you go down and you come back up. All right, everybody? We're going to bring you back up, everybody. We're not going to have a funeral here today, okay? Just want to make sure you know that. But water baptism is that picture. It's a public proclamation that I'm standing for Jesus. My life is His. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's like the little boy. He had given his life to the Lord, and it was water baptism Sunday back in the day where they used to interview everybody. He said, I gave my life to Jesus. Now it's my time to be advertised. <laughs> he wanted everybody to know in case there was any doubt. Now, at the very beginning of the service, I said something like this. I said, you might have come dry, and we want you to leave wet. <laughs> Well, you might be sitting there going, man, maybe I ought to be water baptized. Maybe today's my day, but I didn't come prepared. I wished I would have known. Well, I'm glad you brought that excuse to my attention because we got you covered. We got a whole set of clothes for you. We got T-shirts that say, I have decided. We've got new shorts for you. We've got changing rooms for you. We've got everything lined up. Say, I wish my family would have been here. If you hand me your phone, we'll live stream you on social media, and the whole world can see that you're making a public stand for Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody. We got you covered today. I want to pray with you.
And as I pray for those that today want to become followers of Jesus, and I also want to pray for those that are already followers that say, today's my day to take one step closer. Come on, you're going to do it. This is the family of God. If you can't do it in front of the family of God, come on. We're going to cheer. How many of you have ever been at one of our baptism services? Am I right when I say that? We, can, can you give those that are a little nervous a sample of your cheering for them? Yeah. Tom Brady doesn't have nothing on that. In all seriousness now, with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room,